Hello, my name is Steve Brown, and I'm the worship leader at Vintage Faith Church. At Vintage Faith, we believe the Word of God is what changes and transforms a person. We hope you enjoy the next 30 to 40 minute sermon of the Word of God being proclaimed and explained. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Vintage Faith Church. Welcome to another Sunday of virtual worship. I would just ask, and Pastor Ken and the elders would ask that you be ready to hear some communication from us this week. We're discussing and praying about possibly opening up uh, Sunday, June 7th, outside doing an outdoor service. We are praying and working through the details of that right now. So just be on the lookout for information from Vintage Faith in that regard. Our scripture reading for this morning is 1 Peter 2, 1 to 10. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us the church that you, Lord Jesus, died and rose again and created the church. You said, I'll build my church, and you gave us the privilege to minister to one another, to take care of one another. And we just pray that you open our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Many religions believe that you need a holy man to represent you before God, someone who's better than you, who's more in touch with God, more holy. I'm talking about human beings. In Judaism, they had priests. They were the only ones allowed into God's very presence in the tabernacle or the temple. And the high priest went into the Holy of Holies once a year on the Day of Atonement to offer a sacrifice for his sins and the sins of the nation. The priest had to be an ancestor of Aaron and of the tribe of Levi. Today, there are religious priests. People see them as having a better spiritual standing with God than the average person. Some even think that only pastors can do certain things like visit somebody in the hospital or pray or baptize or serve communion or marry or bury. This doesn't fit the idea in the New Testament, which tells us that all believers are priests. When someone comes to faith in Christ, they're called priests. 
This is so hard to believe. In fact, when I first came to Christ and learned this biblical truth, I was blown away. It was like, wow, this is crazy. It's really a slap in the face of man-made religion, which says you must have someone more holy than you, more, a human that's more holy than you, represent you before God. They hear your confessions. They go to the hospital. They pray over you. I can't tell you how many times people have asked me to pray because I was a pastor. They would say, well, you have a better connection with God. When I was a young pastor, I enjoyed the attention. I hate to say that, but that was true. But now I ask others who are not pastors to teach, to pray, to visit. Some have accused me of being lazy, but I'm really doing what the scripture says to train people to do the work of ministry. This is God's word. In fact, when we listen to Peter, one of Jesus' disciples and apostles, he says this with regard to all believers being priests in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, he says, 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, As you come to him, the living stone, referring to Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house, which is the church, to be a holy priesthood. That's referring to the believers. Offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter continues in chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, and says this. But you, referring to the believer, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. At one time, we didn't have standing before God, but now we do. But why? Let's find out. Why do we have this access with God? Why do we have this standing with God? This is not based on our own holiness or our own ancestry or ordination or a special calling or schooling or good works or man-made religion. Really, it's found in Hebrews chapter 9, and, and the book of Hebrews really is promoting this. Hebrews 9, 14 and 15 says this, how much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, the God-man, Christ, that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, which is eternal life and many other things, now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant, which is the law, the Old Testament. Christ is the mediator, not some mere human. Continuing in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 22, the writer says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, referring to Christians, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, which is the very presence of God, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain that is his body. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, the house of God, of course, in scripture, in the New Testament is the church. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Jesus opened the way for us into God's very presence. This wasn't true in the Old Testament. They had to go through a priest. 
In Tyndale's New Testament commentary, Alan Stibbs says this, in contrast to Judaism, in which only a selected number from a single tribe, that's the tribe of Levi, functioned as priests. In this new Christian community, referring to the church, all enter the priesthood and can therefore themselves constitute the sanctuary, which is the body of Christ gathered together, the church gathered, in whose midst God's presence is manifested and by whom worship is offered to God. In the Old Testament, only those descended from Aaron and the tribe of Levi could be priests. And even then, some were disqualified. But in the New Testament, all true believers are priests who can carry on spiritual ministry before God. Why? Because Jesus set us free to be his ministers, his priest, by his blood. So the topic, of course, today is the priesthood of the believer. In what ways can we function as a believer priest? And we'll look at three things. We have direct access to God. We can teach one another. We can offer spiritual sacrifices. Things that in the Old Testament only priests could do. Even some religions today would say, oh, only certain people can do these things. We're going to see that all believers have, have these privileges. First of all, we have direct access to God. Only the high priest could go directly into God's presence and only on the day of atonement once a year. Hebrews chapter four, verses 15 and 16 says, for we do not have a high priest, referring to Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are yet, he did not sin. Jesus was tempted in every way. He was the God man, but he never gave in to sin. Verse 16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Any believer in Christ can claim the promise that's found here in verse 16. We have direct access to God. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to take a number. Do you lack confidence in approaching God? Are you fearful? What do you need God's help for right now? What do you need his grace for? I need his grace and help every day to live this Christian life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you need his mercy? Ask for it. He says, approach his throne of grace with confidence. As a believer priest, who can you pray for? The priest was a mediator. He was a representative before God and, and before the people. And who can you pray for? Who has God laid on your heart that you could bring before him in prayer? The Old Testament priest was not only a mediator, someone who prayed for the people, but the Old Testament priest was also to teach the law to the people. The priest was required to know the law and they were expected to teach it as well. Listen to Leviticus 10 verses eight and following. Then the Lord said to Aaron, you and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And so you can teach the Israelites all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. So one of the jobs of the priest was not only to, to be the mediator or represent the people and pray for them, but also to teach. Ezra was a priest. He was part of the group that led the Israelites back into the land after the exile in Babylon. And he led them back 
to help them rebuild the temple. And listen to what it says about him. In fact, he wrote the book of Ezra in Ezra 7.10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees and laws to Israel. So Ezra, as a priest, was committed to studying the scriptures, to living it, and to teaching it to the people. Malachi 2.7 says this with regard to priests. For the lips of a priest ought to preserve knowledge because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. And the people seek instruction from his mouth. So the priest was to know the law, but also to teach it. Ezekiel chapter 7, verse 26, talking about a time of judgment, says this, listen, it says, calamity upon calamity will come, rumor upon rumor. They will go searching for a vision from the prophets. So the prophets would bring a vision from God or a revelation or some direction from God. Now listen to what it says about the priests. Priestly instruction in the law will cease. So they were responsible for giving instruction. But what about us? If we're believer priests, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to teach. John 14, 26, Jesus said this, these things I have spoken to you while I, I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now directly that was spoken to the disciples, but the application is to us as well. The Holy Spirit teaches us. He teaches us what the word of God says. He helps us understand. He opens our eyes to the truth of God's word to help us understand what God's really saying. So what are you learning from the Holy Spirit? If you're learning something, why not share it? Listen to Colossians 3, verse 16. Saying to all believers, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So if you're not taking God's word into your heart, how are you gonna teach other people? But make sure that if you're teaching, you understand the word. This doesn't negate the importance of having pastors and teachers because James 3.1 tells us, let not many of you be teachers because you'll, in, you'll incur greater judgment. There is a position in scripture, the pastors, the elders, and formal teachers, but every believer should learn the word of God and share it. Are you doing that? We should humbly also teach people to follow Christ. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. This is the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make followers, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was saying this to his disciples. It's true for us as well. Teaching them to obey everything I commanded you. Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The Great Commission is for every believer. This is not just the job of the pastor. This is the job of all the people. This is not just for Anthony and I to follow. This is for all of us to do. Do you know Christ? Then share Christ. Do you know the gospel? Then share it. Do you know what Jesus commanded us to do? You say, well, I'm not sure. Then you should be reading the New Testament. Start reading through the gospels. Start reading through the New Testament. Make it a goal. Yes, we should read the whole Bible, but if you haven't read the New Testament, read it. Start reading it, learning it, sharing it with others. The Old Testament priests offered not only, they were not only mediators and people that prayed and, and also taught, but they also offered sacrifices that the people brought before God. 
They were really like quality control. When the people would bring a lamb, they would make sure that it was without blemish, that it wasn't crippled or diseased. They made sure it met God's requirements. The sacrifices in the Old Testament covered the person's sins. It didn't take them away. Only Jesus could do that. God was looking forward to the death of Christ. Listen to Romans chapter 3, verses 25 and 26. With regard to the Old Testament sacrificial system, he says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Old Testament saints were saved by grace through faith. All you gotta do is look at Hebrews chapter 11. Abraham in the book of Genesis, it says he, he believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. I believe the sacrifices in the Old Testament allowed for them to have fellowship with God because they were living in obedience. But they were also a picture of what Jesus would do, what the Messiah would do. He would be the ultimate sacrifice and take away our sins. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, we as believers can offer spiritual sacrifices. But what kind of sacrifices does God want us to make? Romans 12, 1 and 2, you've heard this before, but think about this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters. So he's talking to Christians. They've already come to faith in Christ. He's saying, in view of God's mercy, which is chapters 1 through 11, all that God says about sin and justification and sanctification, in view of all that in his election in verses chapters 9, 10, and 11, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, your whole self, not just your physical body, but your whole self. Jesus told us to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and might as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I believe this lines up what Jesus said, die daily, die to yourself, take up your cross and follow him. This is your true and proper worship. I think it's very much like marriage. When someone says, hey, I wanna get married, they get married that day, that wedding ceremony is the day that they say we're committed to each other. They don't live like a single person after they're married, it's different. And when you come to faith in Christ, you've trusted Christ and then you surrender, you say, Jesus, I wanna give myself to you. I wanna follow you. Every day you have to choose, am I gonna live for Jesus today or am I gonna live for myself? And verse two gives us a way to work on living for Jesus. He says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Now, just think about the pattern of the world. There's so many things that the world tells us to do that goes contrary to the word. But if you don't know the word, you won't be renewing your mind, he says. But by be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As you get God's word into your heart, you're going, oh, wait, that's not right. God says not to do that because it's going to hurt me or it's going to hurt people in my, my sphere of influence. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So as we surrender to Christ, as we renew our mind and say no to the ideas of the world, then we can do, we can discover God's will. Another sacrifice, in fact, this next sacrifice, I don't think will happen if you're not surrendered to God. Sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise 
the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. So when you come to faith in Christ, it's a free gift. And then you surrender. You're walking with Christ. You're desiring to do his will. And, and you praise God. You thank him. In 1 Peter 2, going back to that verse, he says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God desires for us to magnify him for his character, but also for his work. There are many times I'll be outside just looking at the world around me and God's creation. I just marvel at what God's done. I look at the clouds, I look at storms, I look at the sunshine, I go, this is amazing. God created this world that works together in an amazing way. And that makes me reflect on who he is and, and worship him for who he is and what he's done. There's another, another way we can sacrifice. And sometimes people may not want to hear this, but sacrificial giving. Not only sacrifice, give ourselves to God and say, God, I want to live for you, give you praise, but also give back to God. And in Philippians 4, verses 17 to 20, Paul was writing the book of Philippians. He was writing a thank you note to the church that supported him. Lord willing, we're planning to start this. Anthony's going to be speaking this coming week about the, the book of Philippians. And it says in verse 17, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. In the book of Malachi, God was rebuking the priests and the people because they were giving God leftovers. They were giving diseased animals. They were giving lame. And God said, you would never give that to your governor. Why would you give them to me? Think about it. What is your giving like? If you're a believer in Jesus, are you giving? Are you giving God leftovers? It is, an, is it an acceptable sacrifice? How are you sacrificing to give back to God? And I, I often wonder, why are people afraid to give? Listen to this promise in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 to 8. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each of you should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly, like, oh, I shouldn't have done that, or under compulsion, well, Pastor Ken said to do this, or Pastor Anthony said to do this, I better do it. No, you're not under compulsion. You're doing because God wants you to do it. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. John Wesley, an evangelist, a pastor, a preacher, in the 1700s, he helped bring revival to not only England, but also the colonies. Many, many churches started because of his influence, but he said this, get all you can without hurting your soul, your body, or your neighbor. Save all you can, cutting off every needless expense. Give all you can, be glad to give and ready to distribute, laying up in store for yourselves a good foundation against the time to come. 
There's another sacrifice, the sacrifice of good deeds. When you think about doing good for other people, in a sense, when you wanna help somebody else, when you wanna do something good, you're sacrificing because you're giving up your time to put them ahead of yourself. This is a good thing. You're giving up energy to work on a project to help them. You're giving of yourself. You're focused on their needs, but the payback is amazing and it's rewarding. In Hebrews 13, 16, it says, and do not forget to do good and to share with others for with such sacrifices, God is pleased. I heard it once said that the smallest package is a person all wrapped up in themselves. It's so easy to just worry about ourselves and our own problems. But God wants us to be focused not only on our own needs, as Philippians tells us, but also on the needs of others around us. Who in your life can you serve? Who can you help? We look at this topic, the priesthood of believers. It's easy for us to think that we have to have some human step in for us to to kind of represent us before God. But the scriptures are very clear that every single believer is a priest. Why? Because of the life and work of Jesus, because of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. We don't deserve this. We can never earn it. The priesthood of the believer has allowed us to have direct access to God. We can come to him anytime. There's no long waiting lines. No long, we don't have to wait in line. We don't have to take a number. There's no animal sacrifices. We have Jesus as our mediator. We can come to any time. Are you doing that? Are you coming into his presence? We can teach. Make sure you know what you're teaching. Share what you learn. We can offer sacrifices like praise or make sure you've given yourself to Christ, surrendering to him, being willing to give as God leads you and help other people. In that same Tyndale New Testament commentary by Alan Stibbs, it says this, what was unthinkable in Judaism is fundamental to Christianity. Proselytes, and that means people that come to faith in Christ, become priests. The priesthood and its ministry are a status and a privilege enjoyed by the whole laity, referring to everyone, not just pastors, by every member of the people of God. How can you better serve God and his church as a priest? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you that what you did on the cross secured our salvation, but also our place of serving and ministry because you have opened the door for us to be your priests to minister before the people in the church and in the world. Help us to do the things you want us to do. Help us to be good representatives of you. Give us wisdom as individuals and as a church to do your will. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Vintage Faith Podcast. At Vintage Faith, our vision is to help people who are far from God to become totally devoted followers of Jesus. We pray that this podcast brought you closer to God. For more information, check us out at vintagefaithcicero.com.